It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you solve your marketing problems and grow your e-commerce business. Cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and advice from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello and welcome to this episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. I'm Chloe, the creator and host of this award-winning show, and it's my aim in every episode to help you find ways to improve your e-commerce business. So thank you for tuning in. In today's episode, we're talking about adapting to the changing markets we find ourselves in with a complicated B2B and B2C business. Before we get into all of that, though, please do check out the sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 38,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact lists and emails that pop and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Did you know that e-commerce visitors who search can convert between four to six times more than the others? And that 50% of your e-commerce turnover can be generated by users who search? Turn your search bar into a powerful sales weapon and install DoFinder, an advanced site search technology that can help you increase your online sales up to 20%. Don't believe it? Well, go to dofinder.com slash masterplan to sign up for a free 30-day trial and join the 5,000 plus e-commerce sites around the world that already use it. And now to introduce today's special guest. Andrew Steele is the e-commerce director at Charles Bentley. Founded 160 years ago as a manufacturer of chimney sweeping brushes, they now balance selling brushes and cleaning products via wholesale and drop shipping and running their own home and garden e-commerce store, employing over 150 people and manufacturing over 2 million brushes a year has all made dealing with the challenges of the pandemic particularly interesting. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Chloe. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Um, I, When I started this podcast, did I think I'd be speaking to a company who started off making chimney sweep brushes? No, I didn't. But I'm excited to find out more about the world of brushes um, as, we, as we go through today. But how did you yourself get started in e-commerce? I married the boss's daughter. <laughs> Yeah, simple as that. So I started in the business in 2005. So I'm actually the sixth generation of the family, um, so to speak now. So Charles Bentley, uh, my father-in-law, and so he took over the family reins um, sort of into the 80s. Um, I finished university, had a marketing degree, wrote my dissertation on how the internet would affect marketing strategies and SMEs and joined the family firm. Um, listed I know, um, I'd still be here 15 years later. Wow. So the, the easy employment option after university turned into something a bit long term. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I've never looked back since. And were you were you looking after, you know, obviously your dissertation was on how online will change marketing. So this is quite early in the story of e-commerce. Um, did you did you go into it thinking this, this is a business that needs e-commerce or I can see an opportunity here? Or is that something that just kind of evolved into your role over the years? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I think like most graduates at the time, I was you know looking for your you know the dream marketing job. Um, obviously, I had an interest in online and you know, internet selling, 
and obviously buying as well. And you're right to say it was quite early, I suppose, in, in sort of the e-commerce era. Um, you know, when I started in the family firm, you know, we went traveling around the world, um, came back, started to work, um, I suppose, as a sort of a very junior marketeer. The business you know, didn't actually have a marketing department as such, had quite a good sales department. And I was kind of um, persuaded Charles to, to 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 give me a bit of a shot, and that was my you know my way in, if you like. And we started to sell some products on eBay, and that was our kind of first online um, online transaction, if you like. And we obviously um, you know have grown the business to where it is today from from those initial sort of learnings. And you, so you started off selling the products you were manufacturing, i.e., the brushes. But the the B to C site has now grown to sell a lot of products that I'm guessing, having had a look around, that you're not manufacturing, but you're actually buying in. So that's quite a development. Yeah, I think um, yeah, absolutely 100% of the time we sold, um, it was actually an equestrian grooming set that we sold online. It was our first product. We made horse grooming brushes and we got, got a fairly um, sort of I suppose healthy gain from that from eBay, and I think at the time you know we were dealing with some of the, you know the, the the bricks and mortar stores, some of the big big four supermarkets, the garden sheds, um, and Charles was always you know always looking for where could be the next area of, of growth for the business. I think also you know diversifying the business and and spreading the risk is always a good thing in business. Um, and I, I guess you know I, I was the right person at the right time um, at the right place to really start to move that forward. We were going to the Far East, um, or Charles and, and my wife were going to the Far East to um, trade exhibitions. So, you know, we, we had developed quite a um, sort of enhanced brushware and cleaning product portfolio. And some other products kind of ventured their way into that. I think um, garden gas patio heaters was one of the first ones. And I remember selling those successfully on eBay in 2005. Um, and it really sort of spurred on, you know, how we could sort of venture more into e-commerce um you know we're a very good sort of sales business we made products um you know we're not particularly great at marketing and i think you know ebay as a route to market was obviously very very easy to go and sell and it just opened up our mindset about other areas we could invest which is why you see such a um you know i suppose change in the profile of the product you see today online it's quite interesting isn't it that nowadays quite often people will test out a pro- a you know a new product that they've created on a marketplace, be it Amazon, be it eBay. And then if that takes off, they'll go into creating their own store. So it's quite interesting that 15 years ago, that was the same route that now highly successful e-commerce businesses had taken to to kind of test it out and to get used to the ways of of dealing with, you know, with shipping one brush instead of a box of brushes, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a very easy way to dip your toe in the water. Um, I think it's a lot harder to go and set up a marketplace business as it probably was back then. You know, the world has changed. It's more global, far more global, far much more international competition. Um, I know plenty of business that 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 starts out at a similar time as us that aren't here today because of the way that the product mix worked, which I can probably go into later. But um, it's it's just advancing all the time. You know, every year has been very very different. And now that the the business has evolved to where it has, you know, where you're doing drop shipping for some of the large retailers, you're wholesaling, and you've got that home and garden e-commerce store. Do you think, as you said earlier, diversifying the risk? Do you think that set you up well for the the crazy times we've seen this year? Yeah, one hundred percent. So we supply, um, you know, we have a contract with NHS for cleaning products. Um, so we're, you know, classed as key workers. We're obviously still a manufacturer and manufacturing, like you say, over 2 million uh, brooms in the in the UK, in the middle of England and Loughborough. 
You know, we've got um, about 450 live accounts across marketplaces. So your Amazons, your Ebays, your Manamanos, UK and Europe, Sea Discount, Conferama, Allegro in Poland, um, and others uh, to note coming up soon, as well as the dropship relationships with the, I suppose, the original um, Bentley customers, um, you know, the Wilco's, the Tesco's, the home bases, you know, those types of businesses. Um, yeah, and I think over the years, you know, the, the right thing to do was to go and approach those buyers and buyer managers to go and, um, you know, enhance their online offer as we were obviously experienced with, you know, the Amazon, the Ebays and the products, portfolio extensions that they all craved. And we were just, you know, probably a, a perfect fit for those businesses over the years. And with that uh, that dynamism, though, those options within the business, has that did that mean you were in a place which which really made made navigating what's happened over the last couple of months with the pandemic a bit easier, or do you think it made it more complicated? Um, it didn't make it easier, and it's definitely very complicated. <laughs> I think is the honest answer. Um, you know, the, the, the online growth has gone up triple. Um, triple digit growth over the last sort of four or five months. You know, we hadn't planned for that business growth, or we, or we were obviously, of course, planning for growth. Um, but to 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 transform the business from you know a manufacturer of brushes and brooms um, and supplying retailers, and taking those staff as our store business started to decline because the you know the, the big sheds and the, some of the supermarkets were focused on other products or they'd shut. Um, you know, the the pressures on the business and us as directors to bring people and manoeuvre people around the business. Um, you know, it was obviously particularly challenging around the April into the March and the April time. Um, being a um, you know quite um, adverse to what's going on in the Far East as well. You know, we were you know we were away on holiday at the time when the first sort of Brits were coming back from um, you know with, with COVID symptoms, and you know we were kind of understanding what was happening from our own factories in China that we deal with, um, as well as Sri Lanka and Vietnam. So we were having quite um, you know quite a global view early on of what was going to go on and what the influences within our business could be. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we've had to then adapt, um, completely adapt and change the business model to to encompass kind of two thirds online sales and a third offline sales. So, you know, we've got people from our sales team working in customer service at the moment. We've had to recruit more people. We've taken about 20 warehouse staff on full time over the last few months. So, you know, really gearing up for, um, you know, I think e-commerce has probably advanced four or five years. Um, certainly, we've already hit our five-year um, sort of projections, if you like, um, over the last few months. So, you know, we're very much sort of geared up to that. Um, as we're now starting to see the uh, resurgence, if you like, of those customers um, and their store retailing. So, the business generally is is, is very very busy, um, and obviously, the diversity has helped us, um, you know, tremendously over this time. And have you found that? Um... Because I wondered when I was looking at your site and looking at the products you sell, I was wondering if, given you're so closely linked to the cleaning side of things and the supermarkets are such a big piece of the puzzle, if actually your your wholesale activity had had not decreased. But it sounds like from what you're just saying that that the wholesale did decrease, and thankfully the consumer side went up. Yeah, so you can imagine that you know the retail you know buy managers understanding that their stores were going to be shut for a, you know a certain amount of time. You know there was a reluctance to continue to order those products. You know the fulfillment centres around the country also shut down, so you know we couldn't actually you know ship products to them even if we wanted to. You know the, the business obviously took the advantage of how we were going to cope with online sales. It's quite difficult because the products obviously coming from the far east, so the um, yeah the you know the amount of trading if you like um, completely changed. You know we obviously have seasonal plans and forecasting, so to um, you know accelerate how we were going to go and do that um, was particularly challenging, especially where of course um, 
you know the likes of the Chinese, where we you know predominantly manufacture products um, or have product manufacture on behalf. Um, you know they shut down quite early on, so you know we had delays in orders. There's some catch up there. We managed to get product in, um, you know, quicker. They caught up very very quickly when they came back from their holidays. Um, you know, and it allowed us the opportunity to rebuy as well for product that was going out of stock um, across July and August, especially in barbecues and furniture and the like. It's it's kind of every angle. It's like you, you start thinking and digging into how the pandemic could hit a business and you go from, okay, so can she, the demand will change. And then you realise actually you've got the demand changes. So who's buying and what they're buying. Then you've got the how the team manage it from you know reskilling people as you've already mentioned but also then keeping them safe whilst you're doing it and then you've got the back end piece of how do we actually get the product that people want which is not necessarily just getting in the product you'd already ordered it's tweaking those orders and changing the mix and dealing with with increased demand overall how how did you work out which problem to solve first i suppose oh where do i start um yeah, you know, I think the first, the first was in here and now, you know, we have to protect the staff, you know, are we going to be open? Um, you know, there was stuff that was coming out in the news, of course, about, you know, manufacturing business and, um, you know, that we could stay open. You know, we've obviously had, um, you know, a tremendous surge in cleaning and cleaning sort of utility products, um, both on, a, on and offline. We didn't really know to start with how it was going to affect us. I think that's the honest answer. You know, then it became quite apparent at the end of March into April that online was completely surging. So, you know, we put the resources there. We found suppliers in Europe as well as in the UK, um, you know, and we played on those products where perhaps we'd come out of stock um, in the Far East. So we saw a really big uptake in storage boxes. Um I think our broom sales were a thousand percent up, um, and you can either you can either look at that that we sold a lot of brooms, we sold a lot more brooms online, or you can look at it that we sold not that many brooms, and then we sold a few more brooms online. But yeah, the, the broom sales to people's houses was phenomenal. And again, you know, you couldn't go down to your local hardware store and go and buy you know an eighteen inch cocoa broom, but you could have one delivered to your house for you know less than fifteen pounds. And some of the yeah, the skew changes um, completely different and unheard of and probably never to be seen again. It is. I mean, I, I get why, you know, sales of disinfectants and maybe maybe scrubbing brushes, certainly cleaning cloths would go up. But the brooms thing kind of to the consumer, I don't, there was no point during lockdown when I thought, gosh, uh, if only I had a broom, I'd feel safer. <laughs> I just think, you know, it, it accelerated because people were, you know, they were locked away in home when they, you know, they couldn't leave the houses or shouldn't have been leaving the houses they're there, you know, once, once they exercise. And, you know, you know the, 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 the British people really embraced, I guess, DIY. We saw a massive surge in paintbrushes as well. Um, you know, and, you know, you're in your home for such a long time, aren't you? I think people probably thought that it was uh, the opportunity to clear up, tidy up, paint, decorate, you know, not going on holiday, not going away for weekends. What else shall we do? Um, you know, without being able to go to a shop, particularly to go and, and buy those products um, or, or, or most shops to go and buy those products. So, you know, we, we obviously adapted the business to be for doing more, more of that type of product, which we wouldn't necessarily have seen as much online. You know, looking for for you know kits and packs. Obviously, to send one broom in the post is quite expensive, um, in terms of the relation of the courier cost to the, the actual cost price of the product. So, um, you know, a five pound broom in store is probably a ten pound broom online by the time you ship to someone's house. So, there was obviously a, a need and a request and a desire for people to buy them. Yeah, so th- I guess there was quite a bit of re deals with couriers or re. Well, you kind of you have the the moment of right, let's fulfil this demand, and then 
after you know the initial surge happens, is like, right, how do we make this demand work for us? Which I think is where those working out the right couriers, tweaking prices and so on goes on. Because I think, you know, when a website's doing a certain amount, you don't necessarily pay as much attention to the individual product impact on profitability as you do afterwards. Have you done a done a bit of that over the last few months? Yeah. So, you know, we've gone up from we've gone up from sort of probably a peak last year we did about 200,000 passes in the whole of the financial year off financial April to March um so it's like 211,000 something like that we've done I think 200,000 already since the first we wow. say a massive surge in demand of, of parcels to pick back and ship um I think the courier challenges um yeah they obviously weren't ready for it either um it's obviously well documented in the press that Hermes and DPD are taking lots of people on and develop they're developing their own um you know, sites across the UK and obviously into Europe as well to be able to distribute this volume of parcel. So, you know, it was quite hard to react to that. You know, there was lots of customer service challenge and pressures in our team as as well as probably across customer service teams in the UK. You know, where is my parcel? When's it going to turn up? You know, how quickly were those people tipping trucks? How quickly could they get it to someone's house? So um, the conversations I've had with plenty of our partners, you know, have been equally sort of challenging in terms of, you know, the demand is there, but how do you serve the demand and give the best customer experience? It's been, you know, particularly challenging. And right now we're... As we're recording this, it's July, just for everyone who's listening. And you're but you're not listening you're you're listening to it a little bit after we've recorded it. Um and at this point in the UK, we're at a pretty similar level to a lot of the world, which is we are slowly easing our way out of lockdown. But the interesting thing is, despite what the government's trying to make us all do, we all seem to be kind of clinging on to lockdown life. So I mean, certainly the some of the businesses I've been looking at, the sales are not yet really you know that sales surge isn't yet declining back to whatever a normal level might be. So, so Andrew, future bull time, oh, sorry, crystal bull time, even <laughs> future gazing time. Getting my words mixed up. Um, do you think? You know, are you planning right now for for peak to be as up on last year as it was, as the rest of this year so far has been up on last year, or are you kind of ready for a decline or a rise or a? How are you? How are you? looking towards the future and being prepped for it i think if you say peak as christmas peak which is i'm assuming what you're asking there you know us as a seasonal business you know our peak is now mm-hmm. so we don't necessarily have a huge spike if you like we have a slight spike in demand around you know the black friday time end of november and early december but the nature of the product you know home garden home garden product effectively is, is our major it was about 70 70 percent of the sales online um you know it's in the here and now but i do think we will see a continued level of sales as a percentage of of, of what we're doing month on month because i think you know we've you know we've got quite a diverse product mix you know we've got mm-hmm. better stock availability um into the winter than we probably would have done last year so i think the anticipation of the business is that we will continue to to see a surge online. I don't think until there's a vaccine that people are going to feel safe enough to go out into the shops. Um, I think that the business and the brand and what we've done to create the brand equity over the last few years um, you know, is, is, is going to put us in a good stead. You know, we've got, like I said, about 450 accounts. Um, you know, we've got a found fabulous management team now. We're recruiting really good people to help us, um, you know, accelerate the brand and the brand name across the industry. So there's lots of really good things that are happening at the moment to, to help us continue sales as well as um, 
I suppose, respond and react to the demand of um, the consumer and where they wish to shop. And it's it's one of those interesting things. We we spoke earlier about how you know you deal with the initial surge and then you have the right, we now need to make this work for us. So we we start tweaking things. And then I guess the third stage that I've been seeing businesses go through is it's right, how do we capitalize on this new demand? How do we make sure these people buy from us in the future and stick around with us. So have you have you been investing a lot in making sure they really get who they're buying from and that they're ready to come back to you? Yeah, it's probably been yeah, it's probably been the biggest challenge for me to see um you know such a surge in demand and not give always the best service. You know, we prided ourselves on the you know the customer experience of buying a Charles Bentley product online. Um, you know, so we've we spent lots and lots of time, energy, um in recruit recruitment recruiting people to help serve customers better so although our experience is you know it's good it's not as good as what it should be i think i probably talk for the rest of the retail online industry um you know early in lockdown some of our partners actually shut their websites down um, because they couldn't cope with the demand um we were never quite at that point um, and we were still serving that you know their um you know for the for their dropship charles bentley products on those retail sites we never quite got to that point but you know there were those conversations around how sustainable is it so you know we acted fairly quickly we brought in we've actually got three times more customer service people um than we did this time last year to cope with the demand um and we've also brought in um sort of a uh, customer relations and process managers really to start mapping out the customer journey um not just through charlesbenley.com and the marketplaces but through the drop shippers as well so those retail partners and kind of how we interact with them to give um, their customer service teams the best experience not easy <laughs> no not easy at all and and it's like it's like a part of me is going awesome you you bought on three times the number of customer service people because great you're you're taking a really proactive approach to making sure you can keep that customer service you know, up there. But of course, it's not like the day they start, they spend the whole day answering customer calls, especially with a quite a diverse product range and diverse customer base. So what, did you have the training in place ready to quickly onboard people or has that been kind of a bit, a bit of a catch-up scenario too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely a catch-up scenario. You know, we, we've yeah, and, and and to throw into the mix home working and home training as well was particularly particularly difficult. So, I think you know, like a like I say, you know, being a fairly small you know business and growing and growing and growing, you know, we've obviously you know, had to adapt our processes and our procedures to be able to go and train people um, and train people from afar, you know, on a Zoom or a video conference or whatever it might be. So, you know, it has felt. Um, you know, it has felt particularly painful, really, to 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 try and think how do you do that so quickly. Um, but we're getting there, you know, and the quick learners. So, you know, we're making much better strides on process note documentation. Um, we probably involve more people within sales and our buying function, you know, the buyers who are actually sourcing and creating the product. Um, so we've had you know, help across the team. It's been a real sort of team effort, if you like, to, to wrap to the, the demand, um, you know, whilst trying to do the day job. So there's been you know, plenty of overtime, plenty of weekends, plenty of evenings, really supporting customers and um, you know, getting them products, getting them advice, getting them feedback. Um, you know, and, and and using tools and software to try and find out, you know, where's the, um, you know, whether it's a pre a pre sale or post sale, um, and how to react accordingly to um, obviously the demand. E-commerce master plan is supported by some of the greatest companies in the e-commerce sector. Here's a reminder of who they are. 
is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 38,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact lists and emails that pop and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com slash masterplan to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. On average, 15% of searches on online shops return zero results, but only 1.3% of searches made through DoFinder are not returning results. Knowing that, what are you waiting for? Get your DoFinder 30-day free trial and start offering a better search experience. It can be implemented on all e-commerce platforms such as Shopify, WooCommerce, EKM, Visualsoft. Neil Patel includes DoFinder among the most powerful tools to increase e-commerce sales. Don't hesitate and go to DoFinder.com slash masterplan to install it in only five minutes without coding. It's time for the top tips round. Okay, I love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So, Andrew, you ready for the top tips? Yeah. Okay, the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agrees to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? So I'm actually in the middle of a book, really interesting book by uh, Simon Sinek, if you've ever come across him. Um, I and it's have. called Start With Why, you know, and ever since I've sort of you know, picked pick, pick this up from um, a speech actually from our e-commerce development company, um, you know, I eventually did buy the book um, and started reading it. And I think it really makes you think and focuses you on, you know, why are you in business and why, you know, what are you doing? Where does, you know, where does your business fit within, you know, within the, the realms of others? Um, you know, and it's made me think more and challenge our business more about, you know, why are we here and how do we serve our customers best? Um, yeah, and I think that would be the one book I'd recommend your readers go out and buy um, and read. You know, it doesn't take particularly long to read, but it's it's a really, really good book. It's an awesome book. So thank you for that as your as your top tip. Okay, the traffic top tip. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? So until the last three months, um, probably our best marketing method as a conversion was probably affiliates so we use an affiliate management company um you know we've changed lots of our banners um you know we've worked with the, um, a couple of them to, to really sort of drive the traffic to charlesbenetti.com um but actually we actually google ppc believe it or not has been our best converting um i suppose marketing method at the moment the bounce rate on the website is very very low compared to what it has been in the past so PPC, I think the Bing PPC has done quite well. Google's done better. Um, so that's one that we're um, yeah, we're pleased with at the moment. I mean, it's converting a lot better to sell on our own website than it is on a marketplace as a percentage of its sales. We actually turned off Amazon advertising um, on about the 1st of April because we knew wow. we, didn't have a, we didn't actually have enough stock to serve the demand anyway. So, yeah, we could obviously flex where we <laughs> decided to trade based on what the marketing cost was. So, Well, yeah, that's one of the things which I think um, – it's another one of those things you kind of realize as you're going through the process is, oh, hold on. If we haven't got enough stock, who do we want to sell it to? And how do we want to sell it to maximize the margin and make sure you get as much as possible without suddenly doing a hundred pound broom, which would probably be <laughs> <Indeed>. excessive. <laughs> 
Okay, the tool top tip. Maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? I'd probably say our fresh desk customer service ticketing system has got to be up there. Um, we brought it in place, I think it was towards this, uh, probably January time in 2019. So we've had it for you know, well over 18 months now. Before that, we had um, sort of multiple outlet mailboxes. So you can imagine it was particularly difficult to manage customer service with you know a couple of advisors and um, a bunch of emails in an inbox. So um, I think putting Freshdesk in to manage customer relationship was particularly advantageous, especially at this time. You know, we could route tickets around pre-purchase or post-purchase. Um, more recently, we've done API development with it to bring in things around uh, carrier management, parcel management. There's a whole bunch of other things that we can do with it. Um, so I'd probably say Freshdesk is up there. Um, I think we use Trello, which is one of my favorites for I suppose, team projects and team management. So, you know, everyone's on sort of Trello within our teams that we can kind of understand what's what's going on in their sort of to-do list every week. You know, when we have our one-to-ones, it's quite easy to share and see, um, you know, and share ideas as well. Like it. And I, I guess um, having those cloud-based tools must have made uh, managing things and people during the pandemic that little bit easier. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, it goes back to your point around sort of... Um, you know, people in the office versus at home now, you know, it's 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 far easier to be doing um training, videos, sessions, catch-ups, one-to-ones, those sort of things. Um, you know, and obviously the, the the video conference tools. Um and I think as well, the you know, the other thing to say and to, to probably to listeners as well, you know, where we've had those sort of long-term relationships with our dropshippers, you know, those major British retailers, um, you know, we can now have three or four Zoom meetings a day. You know, in different parts, um, with with customers in different offices or different homes around the UK, um, and I think I don't think we're ever going to go back to having to drive up and down the uh, the motorway network to go and see those people as much. You know, the productivity and obviously the environmental impact is absolutely huge. So you know, we can have a half an hour, um, you know, chat on trading promotions with you know a, a retailer up in um, you know the Midlands. Um, you know, in half an hour later, have a, a exactly the same chat, you know, and catch up with someone down in London. And I think that is here to stay. Yeah, huge time saver. Okay, the growth top tip. If you met someone today who's focused on growing their e-commerce business from 100 orders per month to 1,000, what would be your number one tip for them? Plan, plan, plan. Think big. <laughs> <laughs> think big and work backwards. I think, you know, long ago, I probably, I mean, my my first so one of my first, I suppose, year of running an online business, I used to get the Argos catalogue and I used to flick through it and think, wow, some amazing products here. Look at the price. We could buy these cheaper in the Far East and you know, these will fit nice into our range. So I thought quite big early on. Um, so I think you have to have, you know, you have to have the grand plan, if you like, and then you have to figure out how you're going to do it. So um, I still remember getting to our first hundred orders a month and probably our first thousand orders a month as well. And it didn't, you know, it doesn't seem that long ago. And um, you know, to, to get to 50,000 orders a month as we're doing now, um, you know, without having the plan, you know, you should definitely have a three or a five year plan, a project plan. Um, you know, how are you going to cope with the warehousing? How are you going to cope with the IT? How are you going to cope with the customer service? You know, how are you going to recruit the right people, um, you know, to help run your business with you? You know, if you don't have that three to five year plan, you're a bit stuffed. <laughs> you are indeed. I love it. Cool. Thank you, Andrew. Now, before we say goodbye, could you let listeners, the listeners even, know where they can find you and your business on the web and social media, please? Sure. So you can find us at charlesbenny.com. So we sell products to uh, the UK and Europe. 
social media hashtag at Charles uh, uh, Charles Benley eighteen sixty. So you know, come and follow us. Um, see what we're up to. See what the great team are doing. Awesome. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. It's been really cool exploring kind of those high level challenges that the pandemic has uh, has caused and which I know is still causing for many businesses right now. So I hope, I hope, um, I hope, well, I know the listeners will have found it interesting. So thank you very much for coming on and sharing. You're welcome. No matter how many times I talk to someone about how they're adapting and changing their business, it always floors me just how many different things they have to take care of, how many different things that comes into all of this. The customer service, the supply chain, the team training, the watching out for how demand shifts and how consumer behaviour changes. It's it's crazy. There's so many challenges that come up, but by doing it, it makes the business bigger and stronger and helps it to to survive for those over 100 years that they've done so far. To get your hands on the notes from today's show, including the top tips and links to what we've mentioned, then head over to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash podcast. There you can also add yourself to our email list so you don't miss out on any of the other things I share to help you improve your business. And if you like this episode, then please make sure you check out episode 291 from a few weeks back with Neil Fitzpatrick from Pet Drugs Online, because he talks about changing business and adapting things and even knocking down walls as well. So I think you'll like that one too. Thank you for tuning in to this and every episode of the e-commerce master plan podcast. It's great to know I'm helping so many of you because I bring you a new interview every week because I want to inspire and help as many e-commerce business owners as possible to succeed and thrive with their business. So please do tell the other e-commerce business owners you know, because I'd love to help them too. I hope you have a great week. Keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com slash podcast.